0: This is the Sensitive Rebel Podcast, and I'm your host, Steve McCready. Join me for conversations with fellow Sensitive Rebels as we discuss the challenges of making a difference in a world that touches us deeply. If you're ready to turn your sensitivity into a secret weapon, then you're in the right place. Let's do this. Hey, Sensitive Rebel. So this episode is a little bit different. You're going to hear a lot about sacred spaces, ritual, and prayer today. And I mean that in a spiritual sense, not a religious one. My guest for this episode is Dr. Tom Garcia. Tom describes himself as a shamanic teacher and spiritual guide with a unique gift for helping people clear away the blocks that keep them from reaching their dreams and experiencing peace and happiness. Through wisdom born of personal experience and genuine humility, he helps people awaken, strengthen and deepen their connection within to rediscover their true voice and unearth their deepest calling. With the help of the mystical guides who led him to his own spiritual awakening, he uses clear guidance and gentle presence to help you move past fear and uncertainty into the light of your own wisdom. He lives with his family in the mountains of Colorado. Now I'll tell you that when I first heard about Tom and it was suggested that I have him on as a guest, I was a bit hesitant. But after I talked with him and learned about his work and how he does it, I really did want to have him on so we could talk about it because I really think it's very, very interesting and really powerful work. One of the things I really like about him is he's just not prescriptive. And ultimately, the work that he's doing is just a different form of creating a special safe space that allows the people that he serves to connect with themselves, to really tune in to their inner voices and get some grounding. And so I think it's really actually very powerful work. I'm really glad that I did decide to have him on. I think you're going to find this to be an interesting conversation. And I'd really love to hear from you and what you think about it. And now my conversation with Tom Garcia. Tom, how's it
1: going? Great, Steve. Awesome to be here. Oh, thanks, thanks for coming
0: on. really appreciate the chance to get to talk to you about what's a really fun and different topic than anything that I've gotten into so far on the show. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation here. And where I want to start is the question of what are you rebelling against?
1: Well, on the face of it, it seems like there's plenty of things out there in the world to push against. But what occurs for me that's most up in my world to rebel against is my own conditioning. The way I've been conditioned, domesticated in life and to break free of that for myself so that I can see the world more clearly think more clearly and respond appropriately you know in a good way to my world i like that a
0: lot cuz it really gets into this important point of conditioning and of the ways we are influenced from from many different angles without even maybe knowing it so what i would like to know is when did you become aware of that conditioning and its effect on you. How did that happen?
1: I think it's been going on for a while, like from about the age of 16 or 17, when um, I really pushed against religion in my life. I grew up Catholic, I think at a very early age, began to just say, wait a minute, I don't know about this. And as I got older, it got more intense. I don't know if you heard of S yeah, training absolutely. back in the day. I took that when I was 18, and that kind of turned my world upside down. And then right after that, I joined the Navy. So go from like one extreme to another, like an extremely structured environment. And that's um, such
0: a contrast. That's great. Oh my gosh. I had a
1: hard time. I would imagine. And it continued, you know, this path of personal growth and development and reading and self-inquiry. I've always been a journaler. I've journaled since I was 15 years old. And I think that was my first real connection with there's something else inside of me that wants to be heard. Something else that wants a full expression in the world. So I think my whole life has been about finding out how I can more fully express myself in the world. I was a chiropractor for 30 years and now I do what I call shamanism or that's the word that most closely fits how I show up in the world and what I do in practice. I was like, well, you know, people would say, what do you, what do you call what you do? And I'm like, all oh, the word that fits it best is shaman, shamanism. I have a caveat I want to say about that is, wherever that creates separation between myself and another person, it's like drop the label, just like that. Even as a chiropractor, I'm like, if doctor creates an obstacle between me and the person I'm working with, just drop the label. Call me Tom. Don't call me Dr. Garcia.
0: I want to talk a little bit more about that. That's, I think, a really important point that you've brought up is this idea of label. And it seems that you have a real recognition of The fact that it is, at some level, a label, it's a form of shorthand is the way that I tend to characterize it. And it sounds like you really understand that may help the connection and the understanding for some people, but it may actually interfere with it for others. How did you come to to be aware of that and make that shift to really allow people to use it or not as it fits for them?
1: As a doctor of chiropractic, I there were various ways I was trying to define myself as a chiropractor, chiropractic physician chiropractor. I was clearly not oriented to the medical model and it was way, I'm way in the other end of the scale, if you will. So that was my first like awareness and then seeing how it impacted people. Some chiropractors I worked with reveled in the title of doctor and others didn't. I was one of those that didn't. We also see in our culture how medicine or the medical paradigm has been positioned as the ultimate authority, if you will. Like, you know, ask your doctor, should I exercise? Ask your doctor. Should I have sex? Ask your doctor. Should I take these foods? Ask your doctor. And I'm like, no, <laughs> check in here. Essentially, that's the, the focal point of my work. Go inside, learn, learn what that feels like to listen to your own wisdom, your own voice of authority and concede to that.
0: I want to wind back a little bit to this juxtaposition of est and the Navy, because get such different sorts of things. I'm curious both about what you took from those two experiences relative to each other and how you navigated that uh, juxtaposition is even the right word, maybe contradiction of a lot of what you might've been getting told or taught in those two environments. So tell me more about that time and, and those experiences for you.
1: I think the key thing I walked away from, I'm 18 years old now, like, newly being exposed to some things I'd never been exposed to and that were cobbled together in such a way that was rather unique in his presentation. But here's what I think I came away with that was most prevalent, the most in front for me was you create your own reality. And then I joined the Navy. I was already like enlisted to go into the Navy when I did the S training. And, and I was as gung-ho as I could be from the get-go, from day one in boot camp until I got to my first duty assignment aboard ship and I remember standing there on the pier with my sea bag in my hand looking up at the ship going oh no what did I get myself into here like any branch of the military very structured the indoctrination period is through boot camp and language military nomenclature authority hierarchy all those things I took it in but at the same time there was almost like a repulsion of it. Like I rejected it at the same time. It was very interesting. I I struggled a lot those first couple of years until I could find, until I found my groove. And then I was out two years later and I was happy to be out.
0: What had made you decide to go into the Navy in the first place?
1: Again, like, what do I do? 18, 19 years old. What do I do with my life? I wasn't even, was never even a consideration. Some kids like, yeah, when I turn 18, I'm going to join the service. Like that wasn't even up on the radar for me. So sort of by happenstance, I was looking in the window of a uh, recruiting station, and the recruiter walked out, and there I was, you know, fresh meat, if you will. I was enrolled right into the possibility of travel, adventure, education, job training. Like I say, I went for a hook, line, and sinker.
0: What do you think it was about that particular moment in your life and where you were or what you had learned, been taught, been exposed to up to that point that made you more, I'll say—vulnerable? to that? Because it sounds like that's the case. You you know, got pulled in hook, line, and sinker, as you said, yeah. into something that ultimately turned out to not be uh, really what sounds like very aligned with who you are as a person.
1: No. And of course, I learned a lot. I made great friends and I still have friends to this day from the service over 40 years ago. And But I was looking for direction. I was looking for structure in ways I didn't even know. And maybe this could be true for a lot of young people who listen, who are like, casting about, what do I do with my life? And the structures that are out there don't appear to be stable or even appealing. But at that time of my life, it um, caught me. You know, It caught me flat-footed. It caught me looking and wanting to aspire to something greater for myself. I even went into special forces when I was in the Navy. I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. So it Come. went from one level of structure to another, to, again, it was more to shore up I think in many ways, my own self-image and then how I appear to the world, you know, in our culture to be a seal is like vaunted. It's a
0: big deal. Yeah. Given a very high level of, of status because of the the different things associated with it and the the challenges to trying to become one as well. Yeah.
1: And it's tough. And so it's every bit is, you know, you earn your stripes, you earn your trident, the badge for that. But thank God I didn't, you know, because I, I rolled out when I did and, um, exited the service and, moved on to other things and then entered into the chiropractic world.
0: And how did that transition happen? You you know, do your time in the Navy, you're out of there, and how do you decide to go into the chiropractic field and do work there?
1: Well again, it wasn't exactly on my radar, you know, but I was very I was fit, I was healthy, I I wanted to know more and more about being, you know, healthy and well and to a certain point it was looking at healthcare, healthcare professions as a career. So that's the way I went. Even as I went into the chiropractic school and when I graduated, I knew on some level this was a stepping stone to something else. Because the, the, the paradigm of chiropractic is really, really focused on health from within, you know, removing the interference to health versus taking lotions, potions, and pills. I've taken it even a step further now in my work. It's really that recognizing that health begins in the mind and it shows up in the body. And that can be really hard when you have stuff showing up in the body that you don't want in your body, forces you to examine what's in your mind. And then things that it looks like, well, I did, this isn't my fault, or how could a child manifest certain things?
0: And now, so you knew from the get-go, this was a stepping stone. Was that a thing where you just didn't really quite have clarified the ultimate path or destination? Why choose a stepping stone instead of jumping to the end?
1: Because I didn't know. I did not know. The path that I'm on now, a shamanic path, a medicine path that I call it, it's deeply spiritual. Sometimes I say, who would choose this path? This is not an easy path. This is a difficult path because it demands, it takes everything. You know, I have to take my own medicine, so to speak. I work with individuals and small groups and I do virtual events and things like that to bring people to an awakening of who they are. Really, that's ultimately what what I'm reaching for is helping people remember who they are. It's a remembrance And a lot of people struggle on that path and it's, you know, it involves your relationship with God, with the creator, whatever you call that, say the creator, that which created you. So helping people to clarify that's the primary relationship and you want to deepen and strengthen that. And it's not easy to do. Sometimes I'll look back and I'm like, being a chiropractor wasn't always that easy. If I wanted easier, I would have chose the most predominant. Paradigm in our culture with it, which is medicine. So here am I. Uh, here I am on this particular leg of my journey, and uh, it challenges me It stretches me. I'm out of my comfort zone like all the time.
0: It seems like that's a common theme that I'm hearing here for you. Is choosing these difficult and challenging routes rather than the easy one. I'm wondering, is that. Something that you've seen and recognized in yourself. Do you think there's anything about your upbringing or your your personality that might contribute to that choice, or where do you think that comes from?
1: I have seen that, and um, fairly recently, you know, I'm like looking back at all these various turns in my own life. And you know, even as I speak, I want people that are listening to also be examining their own life in a similar way. I would venture to guess there's a lot of us out there that have chosen the more difficult path, and. It's not like it was conscious on my part, but certainly I was always reaching for what's most authentic, a path that's true. And a lot of what we see in our culture for me doesn't ring true. It rings hollow. So I choose not that. And there's so much in there. How I see the world, how you or I see the world isn't the way the world is. It's how we see the world and then how the world shows up. That's a fine line.
0: There's a quote that I like. I can't attribute it properly right now, so I'll have to add this in later into the show notes. But it's something like, "We see the world not as it is, but as we are."
1: Yeah, that sums it up right there. Yeah, now that's pretty catchy, right? Now live that. As
0: always, like the quote is cool and and fun and interesting, but the actual doing of it is the challenge. Now, I won't jump back to you, to your journey here on the the path from doing the chiropractic work. To deciding to leave that, you were aware that it was only a stepping stone. When or how did you get to the point of going, okay, I'm done with this step or it's time to move on to the next step? What led up to that? How did you know?
1: I knew for a long time. I think I knew within the first 10 years and had no idea what was next. I just, it's just like, this is what I know. This fits me best as a career, as a path in life. Yet there was something inside of me that just, There is something else. There's something more. And I wasn't ready for it yet, whatever it was. And it was maddening at times. But the turning point for me came when a really close friend of mine came to live with us and spent the last 18 months of his life in our home. And I watched him close up withdrawing from life and something snapped inside of me. And I started going to the woods, making fires, laying out an altar and praying. Now, mind you, wasn't a practice that I engaged in. I didn't really know what I was doing. I just had this impulse to make a fire, make a crude altar and pray. And I'd open my journal and, and write. And I did this for months and months. And I was asking, like, I was asking deep questions. Who am I? Why am I here? And who sent me? I I wanted to know what my relationship was with that, which sent me something, something sent me here is how I felt. And I want to know, who that is, what that is. And in that time, a voice came to me and I just call it the voice or my guides. Now I call it my teachers because they say, we're your teachers. And I'm like, okay, I got it. There was a point where I said, I think I'm ready for a teacher now. And my the voice said to me, we're your teachers. And I accepted that. So this is where things kind of take a turn that it's like, that are not normal, if you will. They're not common. I had a voice come to me that speaks to me very clearly, and it's a multitude, but it's, it sounds as one, and a ceremony came through me. So I started doing this ceremony with the fire and feathers and tobacco and sage, and all these things, some of which looks very Native American, of course, and I'm part Native American. So it feel, feels in, in some ways like my own lineage coming through me, and it found me willing, like deeply willing to be expressed through me. So, a voice, and then my ceremony, and then the voice would say, "This isn't just for you. You have to bring other people. These messages we're giving you aren't just for you. You must share them." And I'm like, "Me? I'm just one." No pressure. Yeah, I'm like, "What?" And I would ask these, you know, the question, "Why me?" I said that, "Why me?" And they're like, "Because you asked, and we answer, and that's how it works." And when we find even one who will listen. We have a lot to say. And when one asks as, as sincerely as you have asked, we respond. And I understood that to mean not just for me, but for all of us that when we ask and we ask sincerely for help, for guidance, for information for our lives, it'll come. And we just have to listen. And that's the flip of it to listen. So I became a really good listener. And I go in the woods where it was really quiet, there was no cell service no microwave or electric grids. And I listened and I hear very clearly my guidance. I'm not always quick to act on it. I'm a little thick headed, I admit, but it, there it is nonetheless.
0: How did the experience of being close to this friend and supporting this friend through their dying, how do you think that influenced this shift for you?
1: Yeah, that's really great because both my parents have passed away and it didn't happen with them. It happened with my buddy. He was like a brother to me. And to see somebody who was so engaged in life withdraw from life, I was actually fascinated by it. I would shower him every day and shave him. My wife, when he couldn't feed himself so well, she would feed him. And our kids were always around him. And uh, he was in our community. So the whole community witnessed this, what we were doing for him. And also the the transformation that we experienced extended out into the community. I was just deeply moved by the whole experience. And when he passed, I brought so much ceremony to his life at that at the end and in the passing. And my wife also, she was deeply involved with me at that point as well. And then I'm going to the woods. I'm like, he's gone. And I wasn't asking, why did he go and I'm still here? I just started asking, why am I here? Who am I really? The whole experience just cracked me open in a way that was completely unexpected. And I will say this, I understood in retrospect that he and I had something of a sacred agreement between us. And how it was, as I say it like this, long ago, before we came, we agreed that at the appointed time, we would find each other in this life and we would help each other to awaken. I would help him out and he would help me in. Pretty powerful. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It still brings me to tears even to say it, that I don't know that this would have happened for me had he had we not been in each other's lives in the way that we were. And I suspect that for many of us on a path like this, we have those seminal moments, if if not several, at least one that's the turning point for everything. And that was mine for my life.
0: Does that awareness that this was such this critical sort of moment and that one that could have easily not been there right for you. How does that influence your work and how you go about doing it
1: now? For starters, I'm deeply connected. That's just how I'm constituted. I'm deeply connected to earth and sky and fire. So it's these this elemental connection, and that's the shamanic piece. What do you call what you do? What do you call yourself? What do you call what you do? So I'm a shaman. I work shamanically on the earth, at the fire, elementally. It's deeply spiritual. I ask deep questions of people when they come to the fire, and I'm listening for what they say, what they don't say, what's between the lines, what they're trying to articulate that they can't quite articulate. I help them to find the words and find the language for how they self-identify in their life and what they aspire to. Even if they're doing their life's work and they're deeply you know, devoted to it, what's the deeper place that you're wanting to go with this and, you, and what you have to offer people? what you have to bring to the world. That's what I do. That's how I work with people just like that.
0: And as you started to take these rituals and these things that you had been doing by yourself in the forest and you started to say, okay, I want to bring this to others. I want to do this with other people. How did that experience of starting to do it feel? In my mind, I'm imagining that seems like something that could be incredibly scary and uncomfortable because it strikes me there's a tremendous vulnerability around that. So I'm interested in hearing what that was like and how you walked that that initial part of the path of this work.
1: Yes, it was scary and uncomfortable. Yes, I, I resisted it. And yes, I listened. So I was, like I said earlier, being out of my comfort zone, it is not comfortable for me most of the time. It's at once deeply gratifying and I always feel vulnerable. It's an interesting juxtaposition I always feel vulnerable. The one who knows that the best is my wife. She sees what I go through, what I, my struggle, my, my internal struggle. And I know my struggle, it's not just my struggle. It's everybody's struggle who is attempting, who's moving toward being who they really are, who they truly are. That's hard in this world. In a world really that conditions us to be something we're not.
0: And for you, becoming who you are in this case, it's not exactly some common mainstream thing. So you get the added bonus of being you and honoring you is walking this path that is very different from a lot of what our world has decided is normal and appropriate. I'm, I'm curious with the the vulnerability piece, how do you continue to move forward in these situations? How do you sit with and navigate that vulnerability in a way that allows you to go forward instead of withdrawing or backing off of it.
1: Yeah, I have to stay grounded. Number one, so I, I have my spiritual practice every day. I every day I read from a Course in Miracles. I don't know if you're familiar with the book, yes. but it's an incredible spiritual guide book for me. You know, if there was a guide for me, that's it. And I read every single day, and make notes, and journal, and pray, and meditate. Now I'm not a great meditator, which is to say I don't meditate for an hour or you know, like that. And prayer and meditation are distinct. They're not the same. And um, so prayer for me is a communication between myself and my creator. It's a natural communication between the created with their creator. So every day I pray in my own words, I find my own language to speak to that which created me and sit quietly. And if there's any fear up in my field and that sense of vulnerability that can be frightening like that, it, quell, it helps to quell it. It brings it down. And, you know, it's like, okay, now I think I can do what needs to be done today, every day, what needs to be done.
0: I'm interested in your perspective on the both importance and power of ritual. It's obviously an important part of your work. And so I think you can bring a a very important insight to it. So I'd like to hear some about your thoughts on that.
1: Well, ritual is doing the same thing over and over. Essentially, that's a ritual. And I think we're wired as human beings to respond to ritual. We can even respond to negative ritual. But ritual is, it's how we're conditioned in a way, in many ways, But we can create our own conditioning by adhering to a ritual that supports us and empowers us. For me, in the morning time, when I do my prayer meditation and reading, it's a ritual. I make my coffee, I get to my chair, sit down, and I know that for the first hour or so of my morning, I'm going to be reading and writing and sitting quietly. And that ritual has tremendous impact on the the outcome of my day, is it grounds me for the day, it centers me for the day. And I suspect if that's not a part of someone's Daily routine, they find themselves in the skinny branches at some point in the day or flapping in the wind, like just un- unmoored by what's happened over the course of the day. And conversely, you know, when you do adhere to your ritual in the morning, no matter what happens, at least you remember you're, you took time to connect, to get connected. And that's how I think of it. It's like getting connected first thing, plugging in, and then going out. And that's th- where the ritual, doing the same thing reliably day after day, bringing all the meaning that I can to it. So it's not empty. It's not by rote. It's not what somebody else gave me per se. It's my own set of steps that I take to align myself with the energy of life.
0: For these fire circles that you do and those rituals, which are things that you've developed over time, mm-hmm. people who are coming into those Mm-hmm. To them, it's not a ritual that they've built or that they've necessarily experienced before. What are the things about it and, and how it's constructed and how it works that you think give them the power that they
1: have? I usually like to do a little preamble before I start to give people a, like a context of where this came from you know because what I'm doing is self-generated. I didn't base it on any one path. you might see things that resemble That looks Native American there. That looks a bit Eastern. That looks like, I don't know what, but it's interesting, earthy. So I make it very clear. This is self-generated. This is not a traditional ceremony. It's mine. It came through me. And all the elements came to me, which is to say, that can be yours also. Things come through you and to you. You can claim them that way. And then, so then what I do is, it's in itself grounding. You know, I welcome the directions, honor the four cardinal directions, the above and the below and the within. And then I honor the land that we're on. Because this land, you know, it's the earth. that doesn't belong to us, but we belong to it. And then the, those ancients that have moved across this land over the thousands of years, even, honoring their presence, their passage, and um, acknowledging that the ground we stand upon is holy ground because of who we are and what we bring, and because of those who've gone before us. So in saying those kinds of things, it helps people to connect more viscerally with the rock they're sitting on, with the earth that their feet are on. And then the the ceremony itself or the ritual itself has, I think, the natural effect that that people recognize how ritual brings them to center, brings them to home within themselves. And then one more thing, too, is the fire. A fire is universally recognized. I see it time and again. It's consistent how people drop into a really tender and vulnerable place within themselves. And then one more thing, especially at the transitional times of day. So if it's in the morning before sunrise or in the evening at sunset, there's this sort of magical in-between time that it has the same effect on people as it does on me an opening.
0: Those times are... At least in my mind, I think of them as, as times of transformation, in a sense, right? there's a shifting and a transformation occurring. And so mm-hmm. witnessing that, I see how it could facilitate or support one's own transformation,
1: perhaps. Yeah, yeah, very naturally.
0: Tell me about your take on fire. I totally hear what you're saying. And I would agree thinking about my own experiences of times where just sitting in front of a a campfire of some kind or something like that, and just being really dialed into that, how that seems to have some very primal sort of of connection there. Why do you think that is that it has that sort of power and impact on us? What's your take?
1: It is like you say, a primal Element. And for thousands of years, people have, been, have gathered around the fire for warmth and protection, for community, and I believe for communing with the divine. It's transformational, it's, it transmutes. You know, you take firewood, it burns wood that's been absorbing sunlight for all of its life until it's part of the wood pile. You put it in the fire and it releases light. It's like a miracle and it releases heat. Fire, and it's, you know, the practical. Applications of fire, too, for cooking food and boiling water and burning things down, if you will. It's a transformational element. And, but it, I'll tell you, in my experience, it has a feeling of it's the element of creation. It's dynamic, it's taking, it's burning what we feed it. The metaphors of the fire are really great to burn with your own intensity, to let your light be seen, to not hold back. If you look at how a fire burns, it burns with its own intensity. It burns as it will. It's a powerful elemental expression. In
0: the it world. really is. Yeah, yeah, it really is. You now, what is the general experience of being a part of these rituals, these fire circles that you do? Um, so we can get a sense for those listening of what that looks like, smells like, sounds like, feels like.
1: If we talk about different, different kinds of gatherings, you know, for example, I had a group of school teachers at the fire. Elementary school teachers, seven women that all worked together, really close and really struggling through COVID and the bureaucracy of the school system. And they didn't really know what they were all coming into. One or two had a sense, but most of them didn't. And it was really interesting to see how quickly they all just really dropped into this connected space together you know, with me. And so I'm like a facilitator. I'm holding space, which doesn't seem like I'm doing much, but I'm doing a lot hold the space for people to show up in so you know i do several things i lay down the circle so creating a sacred circle to delineate the outer from the inner with this time that we're together we're in sacred space together i say things like i set our sacred circle this day with prayers and intentions and i say words we all recognize to reclaim the language the power of language for ourselves peace and understanding love joy wisdom guidance clarity and i use cornmeal salt and tobacco to sprinkle around as a blessing as an offering as a symbol of protection if you will not that we're protecting ourselves from anything it's just to say we're declaring a zone of safety here together we're in safe space together so creating safe space is really important and essential to what I do and then honoring and welcoming the directions that ritual alone locates us in time and space I used to say that when I did this, that I was letting spirit know where I was on the planet. But what my guide said to me, my voice said to me, was, we always know where you are, but sometimes you don't.
0: <laughs> That's great. I, I yeah. like
1: that they have a sense of humor. Oh my gosh. They're funny. Yeah. And we're their, we're their greatest uh, source of humor. That, that
0: doesn't surprise me.
1: <laughs> yeah. So locating ourselves in time and in space, honoring really this feeling sense of, Honor and gratitude for all that we have, all that we're given, the space that we're in, our lives, you know, bringing a great sense of sacredness to the moment that we're in together. That's what I do really well to create that sense of safety and sacredness and a trust and connection to spirit, honoring the ancestors, honoring the grandmothers and the grandfathers, and all those who've gone before us, and all of us have had those who've gone before us. And so we come together in a way it's it's ground zero. I say I'm a fundamentalist, fundamental, what we're doing here. We're at ground zero. It's a level playing field for all of us. It doesn't matter whether you're a multimillionaire or something less, far less. It's, we're all the same here, and we're all human, and recognizing and honoring that. One of the things I help people do is to pray, and by what authority, you know? Just like blessing, by what authority? Don't we just relegate blessing to the the clergy, the priest, the rabbi, the pastor, the minister? And what my voice said to me was, blessing is for you to do. I said that as clear as a bell to me, you bless. You bless yourself first, then bless your world, everyone in your world. And to pray, so often we pray silently. Sometimes not even that. We're so awkward. With prayer. I, I don't know how to talk to that little old me. Maybe that's not that's not true across the board. You know, people are all everyone's in a different place with regard to that. So I can't even make a sweeping generalization. But I have seen in my experience the difficulty that it is for people to pray out loud. So I I just help them to pray out loud. Say speak your prayer out loud. Speak it in the presence of those of us that are here in the fire, in the light of the fire. And that's where my listening really helps. Because I just listen to them without judgment, totally open hearted, like a brother, say, "Okay, I'm waiting, and haltingly at first, people will begin to pray and and then more strongly, as the night wears on, if we're saying offering multiple rounds of prayers and they have many things to pray for, pray about, and pretty soon they're like, "'Wait a minute, I have another prayer I want to offer, and it goes like that, and I often pass around a basket of dried sage to symbolize in this natural substance that grows on our land, I say it holds our prayers. Say your prayers with heart and intention, and then put it to the fire and then up in smoke. Symbolically, it's taken by the fire into smoke and then released to the spirit. So bringing a little a bit of a sense of, I don't know if magic is the right word, but it feels like that. Like a bit of, the, of magic into our lives with respect to our, our ritual and how we communicate. And that deep felt feeling sense of connection to the intelligence that gives us life, making it as practical as I can make it without dogma. I'm not proselytizing. I'm not evangelizing in any way. And I check that for periodically. I sound like I'm proselytizing to you. They're like, no, keep going. Helping people to bring it home for themselves. You know, it's, I often say it's not about my way You knowing my way and then following it. I'm saying I want you to follow your own way, to know your way. It
0: really sounds like you're creating a space and a vehicle for them to turn inward, to connect to themselves and to be able to find expression for that.
1: Yeah, exactly. And there are some really key elements to what I'm doing that I introduce. First and foremost, like I said, is your connection with your creator by whatever name you give it. It's yours. It's your connection, not mine. I have no business interrogating you about it. But since we're working together, let's talk about that. When we talk about our lives, we get the pie model. And you've got your financial life and your family life and your health life like that. And then one of them is your spiritual life. And I was looking at that one day and I'm like, there's something wrong with this model. And I redrew it more like a bunt cake in the center is your spiritual life, your connection to source, your connection to the creator. And from that, do all the other aspects of your life radiate? It's not equal, you know, it's not eight equal slices. That's the center. And so I really emphasize that in my work with people and delving into deeply some significant cornerstones like forgiveness and surrender and gratitude and trust. These are all issues in people's lives. Gratitude might be the easiest one for people to relate to, but the way I take them to gratitude, it's like several levels deep, like a deep gratitude for everything on this planet, for all that we are and all that we have.
0: How are you able to get people to that level of depth, those multiple layers down? What is it about this that that gets them there?
1: Well, it occurs in a conversation, but it's not talk therapy and it involves ritual a ceremony. So, creating sacred space together inside of which we can have these deep conversations. And when we get inside sacred space like that, I don't mince words. It's not chit-chat. In fact, we don't have that much time together. So we want to get right to it. And the, the beautiful thing is by the time we've really dropped in, most people are there with me. They are ready to go to work. They're ready to have those deep conversations. And oftentimes they'll begin to tell me what they're here to work on without me quizzing them to get to the to the meat of the issue. But I do help them to get there.
0: This is super interesting to me because you're talking about the idea of safety, right? The concept of, of creating a safe space. And I absolutely hear in what you're talking about how that would happen in your your acceptance and your openness and the neutrality in which you approach so many of these things. And it's very interesting. It makes complete sense to me because this idea of safety is such an important thing to allow us to get vulnerable, to really get deep into things. And it sounds unlike, say, what a coach or a therapist might be doing, where they're doing it more in a really psychologically focused way. You're doing it in this very broad way, because there are elements to it that are relational, there's elements to it that are symbolic and physical. But it sounds like the, the nature of it makes it very powerful to people and really puts them in a space to get connected with themselves which is the other part that you're adding and able to to pull some things out and let them out in a really powerful way.
1: Yeah. And that that really speaks to the power of a ceremonial setting in working with people. I I just call it ceremony, ceremonial way, a ceremonial setting that gives people I don't know, it's like being in the cone of silence or something. It's like they feel a sense of I can speak my truth here and I'm certainly listening for their truth for them. So I understand, like you say, with reference to the whole notion of safety, incredibly powerful. And then there's the element of trust, not just trusting me. It's how much do you trust yourself to be who you are? You know, some people you could say that to, and they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And you're crazy. And others are like, they tear up. They're like, Oh my God, that's, I've been struggling with that very question.
0: Now, how long do these ceremonies last for?
1: Typically, you know, I bring people to my place, to the woods. A ceremony itself could be an hour and a half to three hours, an evening together like that to do work or a morning together to do work. But I also work with people where we stay out all night. Now, we don't work all night. We stay out all night. We start, you know, about sunset and we work till late into the night in, you know, varying ways and and then sleep on the ground sleep outside. Because it's all part and parcel of connecting more deeply to the rhythm of the earth, to the vibration of the earth, connecting to our own vibration, our own authentic vibration that's not stimulated and distorted and altered by everything else in our electronic environment. And then, then I feed them out there. Good food, the best. It's like a little camp, like a good Boy Scout, but it's way more than that.
0: It sounds like, yeah, this is a very powerful form of that that really gets at some much deeper um, and Mm -hmm. broader things. I'm curious if you have any stories you could share with us about some of the transformations you've heard about that were sparked by participating in this for, for people.
1: I just had a conversation with a young man I've been working with for, I don't know, eight months or so. I'll tell you this. In the time that we've been working together, he's built two fire pits on his land and put up a teepee. And um, periodically, we sit together in his teepee. Now, I didn't say build fire pits and put up a teepee. He just did it. He was moved to do this expression of his own evolution, if you will. But we sat in his teepee together, and he said, I finally understand what you meant by gratitude. He's had the experience over time of this feeling sense of deep gratitude for all of life, for everything that he's been given. Just as I alluded to earlier, and it brought tears to my eyes because I wasn't telling him. To be grateful. You know what I mean? I wasn't saying this is what you need to do. I just demonstrated it. He observed it night after night that we'd been together at the fire. He saw what I did. And I didn't never said, This is how you do this and this is how you do that. He just observed it and he developed his own way. He has his own way of ceremony. And then to hear him express what he expressed in terms of the depth of gratitude that he now feels and that he's present to and feeling. His own ancestors coming to him. This might sound a little like unusual, but his own ancestors coming to him, his own lineage coming to him, asking him to be held, to be healed. You could say, on one level, it's his disowned parts coming home, and those elements that are in the ancestral world coming home to say, We trust you now, which is important what I'm saying right here, to be trusted in that way, to move in the world trustworthy. I think you know what I mean, Steve, because you're that kind of guy. I get that about you. And it's it goes together, safety and trust. And when people feel safe and they feel like they can trust you, just like I have with this relationship with this man, there's great permission to show up. There's great permission to show those vulnerable parts that have not seen the light of day. They're kind of like that. I don't know, I think like a white-skinned mole or something that's blinded by the light, you got to give it time to adjust, you know? It needs a little nurturing.
0: (laughs) The trust piece is so essential to this when it gets to be something that's interpersonal. Mm -hmm. It's such a key piece of the safety that people need to know that you are safe, that they can be whoever they are, wherever they are in that moment. And that as anyone who's done any deep inner exploration knows You may find some things that are shocking or surprising, some things that are unexpected, and it may show itself in all kinds of surprising ways. And if the people witnessing that don't have the ability to stay grounded and stay centered when that comes out, that can be really problematic. Yeah. But it sounds like you're really able to do that to, as you said earlier, hold that space and really just hold that there for them so they can do their work And it sounds like that leads to some very powerful work happening.
1: It's transformational. In our culture, given the the medical paradigm in which we live, we tend to medicate those feelings, those states where we were exposed, the vulnerability, the difficulty in dealing with the challenges of life, instead of walking into them with eyes wide open and recognizing you have the strength, you have the capacity To deal with this, to address it, to heal it, to transform it, to integrate it into your being and not reject yourself in some way. And one more thing that's really important to say is safety and trust, they're inside jobs. There's no safety or trust out there. It originates within and then we see it out there and kind of a paradox and to create a safe place for people to feel safe know to have the experience of safety to express themselves the experience of trust to be able to step out you know how do
0: you see people find that trust that safety within like how does that happen in your experience so it can be brought out
1: oh i'm i'm like a mirror for people by being safe by being trustworthy they can see me reflecting back to them who they are that's what it is reflecting back to them who they are and i I do that often to just show them their strength show them their resilience their beauty the truth of their being and then at the same time then it's interesting too is to model it so here I am at this guy like I said earlier you know i'm I feel I'm out of my comfort zone I feel vulnerable i it's scary. Couldn't I pick something more conventional, like maybe real estate or something, you know? No. It's so I'm just doing it. And I, I know other people, cause they tell me, I see how you move in the world. You inspire me to do, to live my way, not my way, their way. You know?
0: I think that point you're making is a great one that you're mirroring on multiple levels, right? On the one hand, you're helping them to see the parts of themselves that they might not be recognizing or knowing are there, and that helps pull that inner awareness out of them. Mm -hmm. But by modeling being a vulnerable human who doesn't always know, who doesn't always have it together, because that's the truth for all of us, it's saying, it's okay to be like that, which of course it is, but that's such a challenging thing for so many people Mm -hmm. to trust and to embrace. So I think that your positioning of yourself there as allowing that to be there is I think actually a really important part of what creates the safety. It sounds like.
1: Yeah. And when I think of how I work with people, for example, it's not counseling and maybe it's therapy, but it's not therapy. You know, I'm more, I'm like a guide. I'm true. I'm a guide. I'm a spiritual guide, I'm a mentor, I'm a brother. for most people, I'm an elder brother, someone who's traversed the the territory and is carrying, if you will, the light to say this way, even if I'm a little a few steps further down the road, I can say, over here, I will often introduce people to the course, the Course in Miracles, and say, "Here, I'll help you get through this, to find the pearls of wisdom, the golden nuggets, the language that resonates." with your heart and your soul. And I know it's dense. It's hard to get into. I think a lot of people have it on their shelves and they're like, I don't know, I can't get into it, but it's incredible. One more tool, one more support going in. I'll, I'll often recommend in my work, you know, make an altar at home. It's like a visceral, tangible thing. Make an altar. It's not the altar itself that can, has the power because that's inside of you. The altar is not a thing. It's a devotion. And when you see it outside of you, it's a reminder of what's holy in you and sacred in you. And, Pray every day. Pray and meditate, even if it's only for five or seven minutes. Take that time to connect, to breathe deeply into the silence. To whatever extent you can create silence for yourself. And then we go into those topics like I was saying earlier. Forgiveness and surrender, trust, the elements of peace. Peace being an attribute inside of us, not something we have to go out and get. It's meeting the conditions for peace, and then peace shows up. And so often we're not meeting the conditions.
0: Sometimes we have to create the space for the thing to show up or to be to appear rather than chasing it which usually seems to be a good way not to find it. That'll keep you busy, right? Yeah, for sure. Which is a, which can be a, a quite a distraction. Coming back to to the idea of labels, I want to ask you about a couple of words you've used repeatedly during our conversation today, because I'm interested in getting how you might define them. Because I think they're words that are probably loaded for a lot of people, and the two ones I'm thinking of specifically are sacred mm-hmm. and prayer. Because yeah. I think for some people, those have very clear religious origins for them. I get that's not. The, the framing that you're coming with, but I'd like to hear you in your way define what you mean by those words when
1: you use them. I use those words deliberately and consciously because I know they're charged. They have connotations that seem, like, seem to be pre existing, just like God. You say God and it could mean, oh my gosh, so many different things for people. But sacred is even the definition might need some def- some defining, like that which is holy or that which is whole, that which is beautiful. And truth, you know, is sacred. Recognizing, I guess you could say, and I I say, as it's been told to me, everything is sacred. And to recognize the relationship that we have with others is sacred. How we move upon the earth and how we interact every day is sacred activity. With all the things in our environment that we just take for granted, call it sacred. And here's something else. In defining words. So my work I call Reclaim the Sacred. And it's literally that. Reclaim the sacred in language. Take back the meaning and give it all the meaning I can give it. These words like sacred and holy and prayer and forgiveness and innocence and trust and beauty and truth give them all the meaning I can give them. And so, and prayer, as I said earlier, is a natural communication between the created with the creator. That's what it is. It's a communication. And the Course says, you have the most unusual habit of not communicating with your Creator. And I would say, yes, that's pretty true in our world. And so to pray is to bring back that activity, almost in a way to take it out of the church, if you will. Now, it can stay in the church just fine. But to reclaim that word and say that word best describes the communication that I have with the intelligence that created me. I call it
0: prayer. I, I love that. That's such a clear, at least for me. Thinking from outside, I'm like, okay, yeah, that really resonates with me, and I really get what you're getting at there. And I think that is such an important and powerful thing. So, thank you yeah. for the the clarification there.
1: Yeah, I want to say too that more than adding things to our vocabulary, or more than adding things to our things to do, it's more a practice of removing the obstacles. Just simply taking away the obstacles to our sense of connection, like that. We Um, are
0: really good at getting in our own way and hiding from ourselves, aren't we?
1: Staying extraordinarily busy. And also, I want to say the word apprehend, like to apprehend or bring to us constructs, be it religion or some practice or my guru. And I don't want to take anything away from any of that except to say it's all inside. Disconnect with what's already inside and there's nothing outside to go get. I think that's it right there. And that's really
0: what I'm hearing you're about is helping people connect with what's inside and creating the space, the ritual to allow it and support it in coming out.
1: Yeah. I even say about what I do, like when I do my ceremony. Now I like to be irreverent now and then I'll even say, this is just my dog and pony show. And it has all the meaning I can give it. And it's deeply meaningful to me, but I know the meaning isn't in it it isn't in the stuff it's in what happens inside of me in the practice of it and maybe that could be the that could be said to be the meaning of the value of anything whether it's chanting or meditating or praying or doing the rosary or walking a labyrinth you know like all the different ways we have to connect with the sacred what's sacred what's holy within us what's uniquely our own
0: there's just a few more things i wanted to to explore with you here So this transformative work that you do so much about helping others to, I guess you might even say to transform themselves or however you might put it. But the thing I'm interested in, the question that I have for you is how has doing this work transformed
1: you? On one respect, it's made me a better human being, a more true human being, more authentic, more connected, better husband, a better father, better community member a better friend. It's helped me to have more compassion for myself and others and to be more forgiving. I've, I've been on a path of forgiveness for a long time, many years, and just how that alone, you know, infusing my work with that quality and also presencing that, what needs to be forgiven in your life such that you're free. So it's free. I'm, I'm more freed up in that way. I'm happier. I'm more content. I have great relationships. I was just telling my wife today, we were on for a walk together and I said, you know, there's, almost nobody in my life that I wouldn't want to be connected to. You know what I mean? Like I'm not in any kind of messy, drama filled kinds of things. So it's really a good, a great reflection. It's, Oh, that's almost completely gone away.
0: One of the things I'm curious about is what would you say have been like the, the biggest challenges for you in doing this work?
1: Overcoming my own self-doubt, questioning my value, my worth, This goes way back. It's like old stuff and keeps cycling around again. My value, my worth, the doubting Thomas in me that's alive and well. I mean, he doubts everything. I go to the fire a lot myself. And like I said, every day I have my prayer time. You know, it's a process too. It's like I said earlier about taking my own medicine. I go to the fire and I unburden myself. I think of it like this like taking the burden off of my shoulders and leaving it at the fire. The accumulated burden of days and weeks, the toxic, the toxicity of life becomes part of my burden, just leaving it at the fire. So that's an ongoing challenge to just keep letting go my distortions of what's out there, my perspective, my, what I make up about me, what I make up about you, what I make up about them, about it, forgiving myself, all those things. I say, as soon as I roll out of bed in the morning, I've got something to forgive. I don't know, I'm making something up about something. And that's an important point right there. The challenge of that. And I had someone ask me, who was having a hard time forgiving someone in his own life in a business partnership that fell apart. He said, how do I forgive? And I'm like asking myself all over again, what is forgiveness? What is it? And what came to me was, it is a way of being. It is a way of moving through the world. It's a state and a, a practice. I could say that's been the greatest challenge. And also the thing with the single greatest rewards that come with it.
0: And this, I think, gets again to, as you've talked about multiple times, the value and importance of some of the rituals and routines that you have and really being tools to give you a space to process, put down, mm-hmm. and let go of some of these feelings that yeah. it turns out, as you well know, and anyone who has really pursued anything long enough, it's like those things don't ultimately ever go away. We might yeah. get better at responding to them. We might get better at seeing them for what they are. But the idea that we'll wake up one day and be like, I have no self-doubt whatsoever is just not how it goes for anyone.
1: Yeah, I hear, I've hear. i heard it said, a different devil at every level. And this notion of what I've heard described as the imposter syndrome, I've had that. And here, here I think, oh, well, is it just me? And then I'll see someone who's operating at a really high level who just moved to the next level of their business and they're already doing extraordinarily well talking about the imposter syndrome. I'm like, oh, this could be a universal thing.
0: Yeah, it is truly a, in my experience, absolutely a universal thing. And it comes and it goes, but it continues to show up as we up level ourselves and stretch ourselves and grow because it's like what you were saying, you know, a new devil at every level. I love that. I've not heard that before, but that I think finds a really helpful way to capture it so that we're not surprised when it shows up again it's like wait a second i thought i was done with this it's like no you just finished the other level of it you've got a whole other level here of it so this is the new one
1: so that's where having described to me years ago it's like you try something when i was in when i was in college i was so happy to be free from my job and back in school that i tried out for the this dance team and i was not a dancer and I was taking ballet and jazz just because I wanted to move and dance and then got invited to do like this production of da- like a dancing. I'm like, but I'm not a dancer. What I'm getting to is you stretch yourself in that way. And then you got to have those things you can go back to that you're really good at, that you're comfortable doing. For me, it was lifting weights and running. Like I was comfortable doing those things, but to, to dance, so that was like way out there. So to have those, gr- those grounding practices, that's the point.
0: Tom, one thing that I like to do with, with my guests, if they want to play along is I like to take a little bit of time at the end here to dig into a current challenge or difficulty that they're wrestling with and, um, kind of dig through it with them and see if we can sort it out. So if that's something you're interested in and you've got a thing in mind, we can go ahead and do that. Sure. Yeah. So tell me then, What is a a current challenge or struggle that you are wrestling with a little bit?
1: I'm part of a conference happening this weekend, and -hmm. it's A Course in Miracles based. And I'm being billed along with Marianne Williamson and Gary Renard and Lynn McTaggart and a host of other people who are well-known in The Course in Miracles world. And I find myself dragging my feet terribly in promoting through my world what I'm doing. It's almost like, oh my gosh. On the one hand, it's something that that I, without fully realizing, have aspired to for a long time to be you know, occupying rarefied air with some people who are really accomplished in their field. And at the same time, there's that part of me that's like, oh, is there a rock I can crawl under until it's over? Self-sabotaging, imposter syndrome. There you go.
0: It does definitely sound like that's showing up here. Now, as you look at this event, what are you afraid of here?
1: You know, what's so weird. This is, comes up again and again. I am afraid of being seen. Yet at the same time, everything I do is self-exposure on one way or another. It's just incredible. And it's still there.
0: What are you afraid that they'll see?
1: You know, it's getting harder and harder to find something like good. Like they'll find out I don't know what I'm doing or I don't know what I'm talking about or not true to my path or something like that. And those things aren't really true. It's something old. It's something afraid of being embarrassed, afraid of being humiliated on some level. I've addressed these things before, but they come up again. There they are.
0: It definitely sounds like this is a, for you, stepping up to another level. And so these things are showing up again in a different way because it's like, yeah, well, you're, you're good, but you're not that good.
1: Yeah. yeah and also I recently did a summit a shamanic summit and had like over 200 people reach out to me through that summit I mean I was like blown away by the response and I'm like what I wanted there it is and I'm like pull it back a little bit
0: well it's one of those things right where it's like one of the scariest things it turns out is to actually connect with our power and mm-hmm. our ability to influence and shape and impact. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that's not what's happening here for you as you're seeing these big names that people know and are big ones, you're going, wow, this is a chance to really do that. And yeah, that's scary.
1: Yeah. Because you were saying what you're just now saying. I'm thinking, oh, there's, I make up, there's some responsibility that goes with that. Am I up for it? Now, my voice tells me, What do you think we've been training you for all these years?
0: We've been preparing you for this. Exactly. Because I would argue that you getting to be a part of this is a byproduct of the work you've already been doing. You're already at the level you need to be, right?
1: I agree. Yeah. And um, there's that element we were talking about earlier about trust, trusting myself. And I do. Again, as I'm saying this, it's like for anybody who's facing their doubts, their self-doubt, their self-wonderment, can they do it? do the thing. It's like, stay on the beam, keep myself supported. That's important. I have a lot of support around it.
0: Absolutely. And that's an important thing for all of us to have. It's good that you want to have it and two are aware of it. But let me ask you this, the folks who know you, your people who aren't necessarily as aware of this upcoming event as they might be because of your hesitance to promoting it. What's the impact to them? If you Don't promote it.
1: They miss out on a true wealth of information and wisdom and a potential for transformation in their own lives. I mean, on so many levels, the wisdom and the ideas and the, it's more than just information. It's just a powerful knowledge that they would miss.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like serving them is about sharing this Mm -hmm. regardless of how you feel about it.
1: Yes. Right after we finish here, I'm going to complete the next promotion in my email list so people know what I'm doing. Yeah.
0: I'm wondering where is a place you can focus that you can really align with from a, a values and identity standpoint where you can go, yeah, I am comfortable focusing here. I wonder if there's a spot you might be able to find to focus your attention and the content of what you send that addresses the discomfort that you have, but also still- conveys the power to them i don't know if i'm making sense there
1: yeah so one of the things that i understand is just how powerful telling a little story is like you're saying there, like a little story like telling one on myself and knowing that it touches it really touches a something in all of us that sort of that hesitancy that wanting to hold back not being seen having something to contribute and trusting ourselves enough to just contribute
0: yeah and i wonder what doubts or fears those people might have that might keep them from participating in it or connecting to it. And if you might have a way through story to be able to, to speak to that.
1: Yeah, there's something right in that, what you just said. That's really that's probably the, the greatest challenge in my work. Whenever I'm writing, I'm looking for the deepest place within myself that I can find that resonates with me first, feeling that sense of resonance with other people that would connect us, that I am not different from you. And then also to have the the confidence to say, and here's something I found that really helped me and I think it would help you too. And I've been doing that more and more with the course in particular because I've always kept kept it closely held. This is just part of my personal spiritual path. I don't know if it'd be good for you. In the past, it was like, I don't know if it'd be good for you and I'm not going to share it either. I just do some spiritual reading, quote unquote, and not say what I'm reading.
0: Now, the other thing that comes to mind for me with this, as long as, we're on the topic of Marianne Williamson, is her poem, Our Greatest Fear. Yeah. That's it right there. (laughs) Exactly, right? Exactly. And I'll I'll include a link in the show notes for everyone who's listening right now and doesn't know it. And I will encourage you strongly to go read it. It is really powerful. And I think her words absolutely could apply here. And I find myself thinking that for you to revisit it, this seems like a really... Potentially a useful tool for you right now.
1: You just gave me a fantastic idea. That's what I'm going to put in my next email. That prayer. Because it's not just me. It's everybody. Who are you to, to believe that you're not beautiful and great and talented? And it's about hiding your light. Stop having Absolutely. That
0: I've been I mean, looking forward to seeing this email because I'm sure it's going to be a great one now. You've got this event coming up. So I was, you know my last question is going to be, what's next for you? And so clearly that's the most immediate next. But beyond that, what else is on the radar for you as far as your work, what you're doing and how you're going to continue to do this really great work of helping people get connected to themselves and letting themselves come out and be an emergent of the world? So what's yeah. next?
1: Um currently developing a program where I'm going to share my fire ceremony with people, but then also teach them elements to create their own ritual, their own ceremony as a space inside of which they can drop in and connect more deeply. I'm in the process of creating a women's wisdom, sacred women's wisdom mastermind. So working with women, like when we were talking about safety, safety is like paramount for women, especially working with men. And um, my voice said, do that. Create a program for women, powerful women, women who are already accomplished, who are already making a difference in the world. Bring them together. Not that they couldn't do that themselves, but you bring them together in your way, in sacred space, working deeply on the earth, connecting, because that's that's the sacred feminine right there working on the earth. So bringing them back into connection with that in a powerful way. And then I've got a book in the works and uh, so much stuff already written that's just Need to be sorted out and recombined.
0: I love that you're looking at ways to help others be able to do this type of work or incorporate this type of work into what they're doing. That seems like such a powerful way to create some ripples to, to take this further than you would just be able to do as an individual. So I, I really yeah. love that.
1: Yeah. You know, people have asked me, can you train me how to be a shaman? And I'm like, no, <laughs> because it's like this, if you could learn all the technical data on how to be a midwife or a midwifery. But to be a midwife is like a whole other thing. And, midwife, and midwifery just came to mind knowing what just had another grandbaby. All our babies were born at home with a midwife present. And it's similar with shaman, shamanism, that whole path. It's like you can learn the way, you can learn your way, but to be that, it takes years. And no one conferred it upon me. It's my teachers. My voice said to me, that's what you are. Accept it. Be it. Live it like that. It's like claim it. to like, claim it for myself. I don't have a certificate on the wall.
0: Really about being willing to own yourself, who you are, what you do, what you're capable of, it sounds like. Yeah.
1: And you know what? And I don't care what you call it. Like that. It's like I am who I am. I do what I do. Like that just like you are who you are, you do what you do. You don't need anybody else's permission to be.
0: I very much appreciate your stance of not really getting too caught up in labels. I think that's such a, such an important and powerful thing because it really does help to create the space for people to, to call things what they want, to have them be what they want, to shape them in the way that they want. I think that's such an important part of this. It's I absolutely, I suspect, a part of why it's as impactful with the people you work with as it is.
1: Yeah. I want to add one more thing. It's yes. Fire. And the fire spoke to me and it said, be careful how you identify yourself. Okay. I knew it was a message. Be careful how you identify yourself. And the rest of my evening, the rest of my ceremony was about who are you? You're not who you think you are. If I'm not who I think I am. Who am I? You know, I mean that question, it's like big, we have this identity, you know, you're way more than who you think you are or how you identify. And if you identify two firmly in the matrix, it's hard to disidentify. It's hard to step outside, away from yourself long enough to see what else might you be that you're not seeing inside of your little world.
0: And that seems like such a fundamental piece of the work that you do is it really does allow people to, as you put it, step outside the matrix for a bit so they can tune inward and find what's there. So Tom, for people who want to learn more about you and get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to do so?
1: Best way is go to my website. It's reclaimthesacred.com. And all my contact info is there, my email, telephone number. And um, you know I welcome people to reach out to me and connect and then see how I can help.
0: Excellent, and I will put a link to that in the show notes as well so um, folks can find it there. Tom, I really am so grateful for you taking the time to come and talk. This has been so very interesting to me and um, really appreciate your openness about your process and the way that you go about doing this and i grateful that you are out there in the world doing the work that you are because no doubt it's touching a whole lot of people and very powerfully. Yeah, Thank you, Steve. That's it for this episode of the Sensitive Rebel Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. You'll find show notes, other episodes, and a whole lot more at sensitiverebel.com. We'll be back next week with another conversation.
1: Until then, keep moving forward.